Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing the third episode of Star Trek Strange New World Season 1, Ghosts of Illyria. <laughs> Your cat also wishes to contribute to this conversation. And I... <laughs> My cat is a ghost of Illyria, turns out. I wonder if she feels as I do that... It's very isolating being the only person who didn't love this episode. It was fine. I have no strong feelings either way. It was fine. My strong feeling is that this show has such great characters and the plots are so... The science is dumb. The stories are predictable, mainly because we've already seen them in other Star Treks. It feels like it's not just a rejection of... Discovery's serialized storytelling, but even the relative sophistication of season four of Enterprise under Manny Koto. Wow, that is an opinion. <laughs> it's. <laughs> Look, we're three episodes in, it has time to improve, but it worries me that episodic series need a long season to hit the ground and pick up pace, and this is a 10 episode season, so are we going to get to a point where this series is actually good? Yeah, I think that it's partly, in order to be episodic, mm. which by definition means that it introduces the problem and solves the problem in the same episode. Yeah. It can't be giant world-ending right. problems. Right, And it's not that I need everything to be on a giant world-ending stage. No, and I would love to see Discovery dig deep into a much smaller scale story. Yes, but without an arc mm. and without, there's something lacking. It, I think it's partly just because we've gotten used to watching television a certain way. Yeah. So I watched this today. I didn't watch it yesterday. Sorry. I'm a bad Star Trek fan. It's okay. I forgive you. And then I immediately watched Law and & Order and I'm halfway through SVU. Mm. And... Those are procedurals. We've talked about procedurals a lot on this show and what the difference between a long arc and a episodic procedural is. And I am sorry to inform everyone <laughs> that SVU is less episodic than Strange New Worlds, despite being a procedural. And I think that's a problem. Yeah. I think that they haven't quite found the formula yet. I think there is a formula and the Strange New Worlds people haven't gotten to it yet. And that's fine. Again, this is only the third episode. There are plenty of things I enjoyed. I don't have a lot to say. My problem is that I am watching season one of ER for the very first time. And it's an amazing show. And by episode three, it was also a procedural with character arcs just as Strange New Worlds wants to be but the procedural side is tight it's interesting it's compelling it's not stupid Ghosts of Illyria was just stupid a virus that travels by light that basically transforms the crew into moths and number one is immune but no one is proactively trying to use that and experiment on her like Mabenga's just like oh yeah I can't do it sorry and then he's sick 
definitely the doctor at the EMH would have her in a little bubble (laughs) immediately. And and she knows she's infected, but never even considers self-isolation. You know, we've been through a virus. We've been through an epidemic. We know what to do when you're infected. This was just silly. And I knew the second the light people turned up on the planet that they were the Illyrian colonists because I have seen Star Trek. This is not predictable in the way that Prodigy is predictable because it's guiding new viewers into a universe. It's predictable because it's appealing to the people who don't like any television made post... I'm going to say post season two of Enterprise. Really? I was thinking maybe post season two of TNG. But... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's just me. What's interesting about ER is Mm. the ER was made at the same time as Voyager. And they're very similar (laughs) in strange ways because they are both straddling that serial versus episodic. Yeah, that that tension. That tension, yes, that tension. And sometimes they're really good at it and other times they fail. But ER was on for 15 years and the finale had direct callbacks to the pilot and that yes. was amazing <laughs> that it was the entire final season is a wrap-up of the whole series because they knew it was their final season they were doing this and it's just like really smart it's just mm. really well done to have done that and i wish that more shows got that opportunity yes because it, they didn't get to have their 15 season wrap-up without having had 14 seasons, popular seasons beforehand. You know, they they didn't have that. It's harder. It's harder for even Star Trek, which I think that definitely up until Enterprise, TNG, DS9, and Voyager all had seven seasons. Mm. And it was very, it was like the assumption was that seven seasons were what you get. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's where you are. And I feel like even though we're only going into season five of discovery everyone at this point since they passed the fourth season thinks that they're going to get to the seven seasons so there's like this weird i think that they they can find that sweet spot of being both episodic and serial Mm. that's actually what strange new world should be and i hope that they're going for that eventually like when this episode started the the teaser the the pre yeah credit sequence I really thought that teaser was a tie into what I'm calling Pike's arc of being, you know, having like post-traumatic stress about his future. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pre-post-traumatic stress. Pre-traumatic stress. It's totally a thing. Wow, pre-traumatic stress. So anyway, but then none of that happened. (laughs) Like Pike's entire plot line in this episode was being in a room by himself with Spock and (laughs) like nothing. That was a big nothing. And so I didn't get what I expected. And it wasn't that I was disappointed, but it was weird to me. It was like jostling in some way. Yeah, yeah. Obviously we're due for a number one episode. We are decades overdue for a number one episode. I have not read the tie-in novels about her being Illyrian, but the second I saw the episode title, I was like, I have spent time on Memory Alpha. I know what's happening here. And, And so, again, none of it was a surprise. But as you know, I really enjoy the taboo against genetic modification and the stories around that. And so 
I have been eager to see how this plays out. And truthfully, everything about Una's storyline emotionally was great. I don't think we need a log at the end to give us the moral of the story because this is a show for adults and it's a little patronizing. But I did appreciate that in her final log, Una points out that she doesn't need to be one of the good ones for people to accept her. She shouldn't have that burden even really terrible genetically modified people. And I don't mean like taking over the world. I mean like being total assholes in really petty and everyday ways. They're still people. They're still worthy of respect. There's a question to be raised about whether the eugenics wars soldiers were bad people because they were made that way or were they raised and taught to be that way. And certainly, however much of that genetic lineage is in La'an, she is a capable soldier, but violence doesn't seem to be inherently part of her nature. So first of all, I need to know more about La'an immediately. Oh, (laughs) I need everything about La'an because those were breadcrumbs. That was where we got a little Mm. bit of a continuation Mm. was in the La'an and Una stuff. But it was strange. Okay, so I agree. Una has needed this forever but it was weird that we are coming into this series in the middle of the mission and Mm. all of these people already know each other other than new people like Uhura and La'an but the rest of the crew has already been working together Pike and Una definitely have a very close relationship and La'an and Una have a close relationship, and yet there is this secret from both of them. That didn't quite land for me. Not that (laughs) Pike didn't know, because it makes sense that Una would keep this from her commanding officer, but I feel like young Una rescuing uh, a traumatised little Noonien Singh would say something, like try to connect on that level. I really don't understand why... They introduced the two of them having that prior relationship if it wasn't about this. (laughs) No. I'm like, wait, what? And so all it ended up being is Lon gets angry. Mm. And that's, I don't know. It felt like they decided to, I think it would have been stronger storytelling if Laan knew and Pike didn't. I agree. Because you think that her closest relationship was Pike, but her actual closest relationship is, I don't know. That's just a stronger idea for me. That's just me. No, I completely agree. But also Laan didn't make a lot of sense to me as a character because if she has this terrible hatred of augments and is burdened by, you know, having this notorious surname, La'an, I don't know how to tell you this, but you can change your name. Yeah, that's where I was going with the, I I need to understand (laughs) why. Okay, so the line that really stuck out to me between the two of them was, I never think of you as a child. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that is so frightening. (laughs) As someone who feels like they had to grow up too quickly because of trauma and life and whatever and expectations, I really relate to the idea of someone who doesn't get to have their childhood and then doesn't know how to be an adult because they they didn't get to go through the right steps. So that's really interesting to me. And and it adds a lot of nuance to the relationship that, again, I want to know more about. But I don't, like, if, like, who was La'an's 
parents who was taking care of this child like okay if she was a child and she was an orphan great that's normal in starfleet apparently Mm -hmm. so someone had to take care of her and if it wasn't una who was it and why didn't they change her name and why why did they let people bully her about something that is literally centuries ago that she has no control over i just like i cannot with that like the, no the world no. building around laan really confuses okay. me because the first episode implied that una rescued her as a child and then she's like i don't think of you as a child and that's like okay that is really sad but also that's like groomer talk and I don't want to get into the intense purity side of fandom, but that was the moment I stopped shipping La'an Una because I don't want to go there. And mm-hmm. what you were saying about La'an being forced to grow up too fast and sort of never having had a childhood and so not knowing how to be an adult, that actually makes the surname thing make sense to me. She's carrying all this rage about something that she can change, but she doesn't feel like she has that power. And yet, people of our generation and the younger generation behind us change their names really easily. First names and surnames. This, it, it seems anachronistic that this would not be an me. option in the future. Yeah, you! I was thinking I was of you! Me. Yeah. I literally changed my name because I was done with men. Right! <laughs> it's not impossible. Mm. I would assume that in the utopian future of the Federation, it would be easy easier easiest yeah yeah so i and i just if una wasn't the adult who was looking out for her were there no adults looking out for her and if not why why are there no adults looking out for her i'm very concerned can we write the fic where it's katrina cornwell raising her arm? <laughs> yes because yes. I will say the relationship between Una and La'an is basically what I had envisioned between Katrina and Una. And Una. Yeah. Yes. And just as we have the whole Giorgio to Michael to Tilly mentorship generations, I like the idea of this happening all over Starfleet with different people, but mostly different women. Because we don't get enough stories about women in mentorship roles. Also, (laughs) just before we move off of La'an and how her story makes no sense. (laughs) So, Khan Noonien Sung had a family, I guess, and they were allowed to procreate throughout ages? What? (laughs) I mean, if Emperor Palpatine had a granddaughter... But that, okay, so that's also bad. But so Emperor Palpatine made a clone of himself, made multiple clones of himself so that he would never have to die. And one of his clones <laughs> escaped the lab and fell in love with a force user and they had a baby named Ray. It worries me that you know this. All of that is ridiculous. <laughs> However, <laughs> it at least is logical within if you have to like if you accept that Palpatine is a person who like makes sense then you can accept (laughs) all of that nonsense if you accept that Khan is a person who makes sense yeah sure I can totally see him like seeding the world but none of them would have his last name that's the thing that's the thing we know from Space Seed that Khan is very charming and he enjoys the company of women and he can marry and have a relationship until she tragically dies on 
whatever planet that was that were abandoned on because Kirk is the worst. So sure, he probably had children on Earth. Why are they raised with his last name? Was his partner just really anti-feminist? Like, if that's a side of the whole eugenics thing, like an anti-feminist backlash, totally buy it. I don't, but I want to believe in a 2050, I don't know when this happened, where they beat back the evil supermen and they find a whole bunch of little kids that are, mm-hmm. that are baby supermen, I guess. And they say, oh, well, we can't just, it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take these children and we're going to make sure that they're okay. But again, you give them to people and you change their name. They become adopted by the nations of the world. Like, I let them grow up in anonymity. Exactly. Not within the shadow of the actual person who tried to take over the world. Also, because I just recently watched the first Augment trilogy on Enterprise with uh, Brent Spiner, like he found a bunch of embryos and grew them and raised them. So like like Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) Sorry. Yes. (laughs) And the amazing thing is that he didn't genetically alter them, all of them to look like him. But how does that tie in with an actual Noonien Singh family? Again, I ask, why do they still have the surname? They all have the same name. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird that Sung and Singh are so close and they have the same plot now. It's weird that I just, I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. I don't think that would happen. I will say that in La'an's case, I don't buy it in a way that makes me think that if the show improves, I could end up writing fan fiction because this is the sort of gap Voyager would give us that I would have to mm. explain away in fic. I just thought we were at a stage where we didn't need to do all the work ourselves. You know, I love Voyager, but why would you reproduce its storytelling? It's fine. I feel badly. I shouldn't rant and compare Laan to... Palpatine but I mean by this comparison I think she's Rey that's good she can be saved there's nothing wrong with Rey it's just all the people who ruined tried to make her bad what I propose is that La'an's last word in the series is to introduce herself as La'an Skywalker canon yeah that's I'm making that happen Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Pike and Spock. Again, they didn't actually do anything in this episode. They were literally in a room and then they explained everything that happened in the episode to the audience. I kind of enjoyed that the male leads, the ones that the worst parts of the audience want to see most of, were in a totally passive role. This is old school Uhura and Rand stuff that they were basically doing they were in a room and they were doing research and they were being menaced and then protected and yeah there's two things about pike that again i think do actually tie into his pike arc the first is that so they're on the planet and spock's off doing whatever research Mm. and una says i'll go get him you take you know And Pike says, no, I'll go get him. You take the the crew up and runs off. That's why I was was thinking that he's just being 
overtly reckless that he knows he's not going to die for mm. 10 years. And so he's just going to do whatever he wants between now and then. He's going to throw himself into danger forever, which is a superhero idea that I had once that if there was a person whose only superpower was that he knew exactly when he was going to die, that he could be a hero forever mm. until that moment. Yep. You know? So that's sort of what I was reading into Pike. And again, it's because it's like this like idea I had when I was 12 or whatever. And, and no, now it's a good idea. It's just stuck in my head. And so that's what I thought Pike was doing. And so I did like when he was pacing and he said, I don't like feeling helpless. And he was like physically incapable of standing still. Yes. While Spock was being very research oriented. Mm. I did comparison and that contrast. And it was very... Pike is, you know, in the Kirk milieu of someone who's like an action hero and doesn't do well with being in that passive role. And it's a way of highlighting his fear about disability without getting into ableist visual tropes like the chair. Yes. Yeah. You're right. You're right. The issue isn't that he is going to be trapped in his body or in his chair or in something that is holding him in but it, it's that he can't be that hero he can't be that reckless person he can't right rush into fire and if you had foreknowledge that you're going to become paraplegic or something that would be really scary you know people who become disabled later in life do have a transition period and a mourning period. It's just that Pike is never given the opportunity to go through that and come out the other side. And that's the ableism, that you're always the tragic disabled person. And meanwhile, Spock is reading the cylinders and just being a general nerd. And I respect that. Spock was great. He's just so... I, I liked... The I am arming us with knowledge. <laughs> I was so good. I was very proud of him. I was like, moment. I think he might be trying to tell a joke. It's not funny, but I'm very proud. <laughs> but it was funny that he was trying, so it worked. <laughs> it was just they They were fun. Yes. And Christine is also great. We didn't really see much of her, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And again, because her job is like temporary genetic changes, I was waiting for her to play a part in this storyline and she didn't really get to. Well, she did because she actually created the serum or whatever, Oh, but true. it was all off screen. We didn't get to see it. But when I wrote this line in our, the Christine Chapel continues to be the actual best in our outline was when Mbengo wakes up and Una's like, we fixed it. <laughs> and Christine comes over and she's like, yeah, I totally created the serum. That's me. I'm awesome. Bye. She was so amazing. And I loved her. I just love her. She's so, so great. With like two lines. She's yes. the best of the episode for me. Jess Bush is absolutely turning into a scene stealer and I love it. And Mbengo gets a bit more depth, which I think is great. He has this mm -hmm. terribly sad story of trying to save his little girl, which apparently those fans hated because God forbid someone value the life of a little black girl. But I thought it was very sweet. It was yeah. very sweet. And I like it for another reason. Like, mm -hmm. obviously I value the lives of little black girls, but mm. also I like 
especially in this particular episode, which was at its core about people playing God mm. by genetically altering their children to some purpose and how the Federation is against that. And then we had Mbenga, who was not genetically altering his child, but preserving her yeah. in a space so that he could find the cure. And that is the same thing. You know, they're like two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Alteration and preservation. Right. And so with the goal being save my kid and, you know, have them be safe from disease. And I think that's really interesting in a show that is, you know, it's science fiction. Everyone always says that Star Trek is very based in reality, based in those kinds of things. And to sure, have Jen, a doctor but... <laughs> and <laughs> like, it was an interesting twist that I liked that part of the story more than Una's part of the story. Yeah, yeah. I also really liked Hammer and his interactions with Una. And again, thinking about Enterprise, why can't they make his antennae move? They had the technology in the early 2000s. However, I love him. I ship them. Get yourself a lady who can throw you over her shoulder. Right? And he's completely crazy. He <laughs> captured part of a star in the transporter room. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I just want to point out that Una beamed up her whole landing party in the middle of an ion storm and not a single person was swapped with their mirror universe counterpart. But I choose to believe that bit of molten planetary core is actually a mirror universe molten planetary core. Oh, I like it. Yes. That just, makes sense to me. There are rules here, guys. And that's a perfectly good. Thank you. Thank you. I like it a lot. Let's talk about fashion. Ooh. Okay, so first they had the cool jackets. I love them. Which we'd already seen in like in stills and stuff, but I was very excited to see the jackets. They were very reminiscent of the Star Trek Beyond jackets. Yes. Which is a compliment. <laughs> Just in case everybody was concerned. Mm -hmm. I have desperately wanted a Star Trek Beyond jacket. And these are like the more sedate version. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would be easier to wear. So I will definitely take a Strange New Worlds version of the jacket. But I would totally wear that over a little black dress, out clubbing. Let's go. Yes. I would just wear it all the time, but I would love to wear it on a date. Not that I date. But you could. Like, if you had I that could. jacket, you could do anything. That's I right. love the jacket. I've come to the conclusion that I don't love the Strange New Worlds flu vogs. Like, they're selling for $600 here, and I was like, oh, I really wanted them, but I already have my Star Wars replica Ray boots. Are those shoes? Yes. Oh, they're the boots. I, like, flu vog? I'll send you some links. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, that's the brand. <laughs> they made these shoes for Strange New Worlds, and now they're selling on the retail market. I just think they're a little weirdly balanced at the back, and mm. I don't, I've decided that I don't want them, so I'm going to save my $600. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a no from me. I'm trying to think of a shoe I would spend $600 on. <laughs> no. Nothing. I'm sorry. Your note here is... Una's Randian hair, and it took me a minute to realize you were talking about Janice Rand, not Ayn Rand. Not, yeah, not Ayn Rand. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that too when I wrote it. I was like, 
this is totally what Liz hmm. is going to think. But no, because she has the braid around the ponytail. So it's not the bun and but it is like a ponytail and then it has the braid around like that. Yeah, that was a good catch. That is, yeah. that is definitely Janice Rand hair and I appreciate it. I love it. She looks amazing. Her high ponytail is just chef's kiss. Yes. And so, you know, A plus, I don't think you can make Rebecca remain look bad, <laughs> but she looked really great. Once I saw your note and realized that it could plausibly be a modernization of the iconic Janice Rand basket beehive, like as a subtle modern homage. Right, right. I really like that. Like an homage. Yeah. And Uhura's eyelids are naturally glittery because she sleeps in her makeup, apparently. <laughs> Could not stop laughing. Like, you don't understand. It had that beautiful shot. It was like stars across the black night sky, but it was actually Uhura's eyelids. And it was great. I was super into it, but it was also like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you you shouldn't sleep in your eyeshadow, ladies. Pro tip. They went to the trouble of wrapping up her hair, but still she's sleeping in her eye makeup. Guys, come on. But that's why I was like, obviously Uhura just has glittery skin. I totally buy it. She's in the future. Mm. That's mm. the way it is. She has a secret genetic manipulation of her own. <laughs> That's right. Hmm. So can we talk about lockdown before we get to Oh, oh gosh. Yes. Because I gotta say. When Una called for a level five lockdown, like that's what Melbourne was in for most of two years, and Erin and I were just like, no, we can't do this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was over here saying that would never happen. (laughs) That's not how that works. It's not even how it worked on American military ships. No way was the U.S. military or NASA or Space Force or anything even remotely related to the United States of America go on lockdown. That just doesn't... Sadly. Sad but true. And so I just... Yeah. Yeah. It was hilarious to me. It was just so funny because we literally (laughs) never... We're actually in lockdown. I was going to say I highly rate it. I highly rate lockdown, provided then you don't just open up and let it rip and suddenly you have more cases than you've ever had before in the country right now, today, and everyone's just carrying on like it's business as usual. Anyway. But yeah, so that, that yeah. no. No, I understand. <laughs> Unrealistic. <laughs> Annika, where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Okay, so since you mentioned the ion storm, mm-hmm. my new pet theory is that when Katrina Cornwell was hit with the radiation of the torpedo, actually she was skipped into the mirror universe mm. because discovery had come from the, you know, like she was, you know, there was like all of this together. There was yeah, the, yeah. the radiation of discovery going over to the Enterprise, clinging on to everybody. Mm, So mm. that's what happened. And so she ended up in the Mirror Universe, but because she had knowledge Mm. of what the Mirror Universe was, she figured it out quickly and she went off to find Lorca. I love that. I think someone should write that fic, and if you don't do it, I will. For a brief 
glorious moment, I thought she was in Mabenga's transporter buffer because I was like, he was on the Enterprise at the time. She died on the Enterprise. She didn't die. That's ridiculous. I don't know why I would say that. And he saved her. And now he's just trying to figure out how to revive her. Obviously, I think the story about his daughter is better for him and for the series. For the series? <laughs> but for us. Yeah, but what about us, guys? What about us? What about us? <laughs> so I decided that following her near miss with a torpedo, she has resigned from Starfleet and she is in a nice house by the sea writing a paper on pre-traumatic stress disorder. Someone has to. Right. Right. It's, it's very relevant to Starfleet. Yeah, look, Pike might be the first case, but is he going to be the last? He is not. So that's what Katrina Cornwell is doing. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at AntimatterPod. Can I just say that our Instagram game is A+. You should definitely follow our Instagram. And write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the next episodes of Strange New Worlds.